welcome to today's reading of the Cedar Rapids Gazette for Monday, February 26th. I'm your reader, Teresa Whitaker, and here is our first story. What will be impact of national issues on Iowa? Presidential choices could impact outcome of November election. Des Moines, out of Des Moines, previews of the 2024 election are playing out in the Iowa legislature this year as lawmakers debate bills on immigration, crime, abortion, and education, which likely will be top issues on the campaign trail ahead of the November general election. Each member of the Iowa House will be up for re-election, along with half of Iowa's state senators, who are elected to four-year terms. Republicans hold sizable majorities in both chambers, holding 64 of 100 House seats and 34 of 50 Senate seats. With the presidential election at the top of the ticket in November, this year's election is likely to be dominated by national issues, said University of Iowa political science professor Tim Hagel. Sometimes the state legislative agenda can be an issue in particular districts, whether it's the House or the Senate or the state level, but quite often they're more likely to be driven at least to a certain extent, by what's going on at the national level, Hegel said. To the extent that local issues do motivate the election, it's too early to know what might top that list, he said. We'll start to see this a little bit more once the legislative session is over and we see what we've got and what the Democrats see what they can do with it in terms of energizing their base and the Republicans their base too, he said. Iowa's minority Democrats are poised to make abortion and reproductive rights a clear focus of the election. They have proposed legislation to enshrine abortion rights in the state's constitution, reinstate the federally funded family planning program, expand postpartum Medicaid coverage, and allow birth control without a prescription. Democrats nationally see abortion as an issue that can win them votes in suburban areas and among women in key races and states in 2024. In Iowa, Republicans passed a law last year to ban abortion once cardiac activity can be detected in a fetus or embryo, generally around six weeks, when many women do not realize they are pregnant. The law is currently blocked while the Iowa Supreme Court weighs its constitutionality. State Senator Pam Jochum, a Democrat of Dubuque, who leads the Senate Democrats, said abortion rights are supported by a clear majority of Iowans. That is the one issue that continues to bubble up, and that is, Iowans are very concerned about the number of freedoms and rights that have been taken over, taken from them over the past couple years, she said. We believe we need to stand firm and let people know where we stand as Democrats and what we're going to fight for this coming election cycle. House Democrats have had a mantra over the last two years to justify their political priorities and their legislative agenda, people over politics. The caucus has proposed a package of bills they say are supported by a wide majority of the state's voters. They accuse Republicans of voting and passing bills to serve special interests at the expense of Iowans. Since Democrats are a minority in both chambers, the bills they proposed have not been taken up for consideration. House Minority Leader Jennifer Conferst of Windsor Heights said this month that Republicans are trying to govern by headline rather than addressing needs of Iowans on issues like health care, housing, and wages. She said Democrats will be talking with voters about Republicans' efforts to expand school choice and ban abortion, as well as the message that Democrats are advocating for popular policies. What Republicans are proposing is what special interests tell them that they want, she said. 
We are the ones listening to Iowans, and we are going to be pointing that out over and over again. Republicans have repeatedly said that past elections are evidence Iowans are happy with their governance and confident in their policies. Republicans have expanded their majorities in both chambers since gaining a trifecta of the House, Senate, and Governor in the 2016 election. Representative Matt Winchettle of Missouri Valley, the House Majority Leader, said the party's candidates would be campaigning on their history of improving the economy and tackling the issues important to Iowa voters. We're constantly trying to improve our educational standards and make sure our kiddos get the best education they possibly can, and we are providing for the needs of Iowans, whether that be infrastructure, law enforcement, Winchell said. But we're also being wise stewards of the taxpayer dollar and trying to make sure that when the government doesn't need their tax dollars, that we return those in a responsible and equitable manner. Winchell said it was too early to say which legislative achievements from this year Republicans would run on, but said he is looking for he's looking forward to passing further income tax cuts. A number of bills Iowa Republicans have advanced align with the national issues the party likely will be running on in 2024, including cracking down on crime and illegal immigration. In passing bills targeting undocumented immigrants, Republicans have said the bills are necessary because of the record high rate of unlawful border crossings that have been documented under President Joe Biden. The problem is we've had 7 million people come into this country illegally under the leadership of President Joe Biden, Representative Taylor Collins, a Republican of Minneapolis, said when advancing a bill to bar in-state tuition for undocumented immigrants. And at some point, we're going to have to address that issue. Border security will be a major campaign issue for Republicans nationally as they seek to depict Biden as abandoning his duty to keep a secure border and prevent illegal crossings. According to a recent Pew survey, 77% of Americans describe the situation at the border as either a crisis or a major problem, while 17% described it as a minor problem. Winchell said the issues have a prominent focus this year because lawmakers are hearing about them from constituents. The national scene does sometimes drive those trends, but some of these things have been in drafting long before the polling data showed that illegal immigration and the border crisis was something that was top of mind to caucus goers, he said. Iowa House Speaker Pat Grassley of New Hartford said Republicans are not approaching policy any differently this year because of the upcoming election. I don't think that we've been any different in laying that out this session, similar to the way we did last session, he said. So whether it's an election year or not, we want to try to show Iowans what our vision would look like. That vision, Grassley said, includes a table, a stable tax climate, fewer regulations, school choice, and accountability around the spending of taxpayer dollars. Iowa Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitver of Grimes said in a recent appearance on Iowa PBS, Iowa Press, I'm sorry, on Iowa PBS's Iowa Press, that he's confident about Senate Republicans' chances in 2024. Iowa is probably in the strongest position maybe it has ever been in, and we have the biggest surplus we've ever had, he said. And so we're going to tell our story. We're proud of our story, of what we have done in the majority and what we've done with the trifecta, and I feel very confident about the elections this year. Depending on a state house candidate's district, the presidential candidates at the top of the ticket may be a tricky, tricky subject to navigate, said Hagel, the University of Iowa political scientist. 
in toss-up House and Senate districts where moderate and independent voters will decide the election, enthusiasm about Biden and Donald Trump, the likely Republican nominee, likely will be lower than in Democratic and Republican strongholds in the state. Both candidates have net negative approval ratings among independent voters nationally, according to recent polling through Iowa's No Party Voters. I'm going to start that again. (laughs) Sorry about that. Both candidates have net negative approval ratings among independent voters nationally, according to recent polling, though Iowa's No Party Voters lean more conservative. Local candidates in those districts may look for ways to contrast themselves with their party's presidential candidate or keep their more unpopular issues at a distance, Hagel said. You'll probably try to distance yourself from that person to some extent, or it may may be that the local issues dominate rather than something at the national level, he said. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Candidates also may try to tie their opponent to unpopular positions or actions of the opposing party's leader, Hagel said. The leaders of both parties, though, have largely fallen behind their expected presidential candidates. Whitfer said on Iowa Press that Trump is the GOP's best chance to win the election this year. Jokum said in an appearance on Iowa Press this month that Democrats should be more vocal in touting Biden's accomplishments. I think that in general, Democrats and a lot of no-party voters think that overall Joe Biden has done a pretty good job, she said, and it's our job as Democrats to get out and tell people what he has accomplished and what we're going to do. Our next article, Mary Kay Novak, Angel of Czech Village in Cedar Rapids, dies. She was a visionary with a heart and soul for Cedar Rapids who fueled neighborhoods revitalization. This is by Marissa Payne out of Cedar Rapids. After Mary Kay Novak McGrath bought eight properties in Cedar Rapids, Czech Village, in 2018, Monica Vernon recalls she filled mugs with Halloween candy and took them to businesses throughout the historic neighborhood. The mugs were printed with the message, It Takes a Village. It was one of the many ways that McGrath led, by example, throughout her life and lifted up her community as the angel of the village. In order for her to do what she wanted to do, she needed to reach out to others first, said Vernon, administrator of the Czech Village New Bohemia Self-Supported Municipal Improvement District and a longtime friend of McGrath. The village's angel gained her wings Friday, dying at age 69 of pancreatic cancer. McGrath grew up in southwest Cedar Rapids and cherished memories of spending time in Czech Village with her parents, Eileen and Frank Novak, and wanted to make sure the village was healthy, Vernon said. She graduated from Jefferson High School and earned a bachelor's from Mount Mercy University. She served on the boards of the district, Czech Village and New Bohemia, the Czech Village and New Bohemia Self-Supported Municipal Improvement District, and the National Czech and Slovak Museum and Library. Her family runs the Cedar Rapids-based McGrath Auto Group, but she purchased the Czech Village buildings separately through her own business, Novak Investments, LLC. Motivated by love for her community, the savvy businesswoman played a key role in revitalizing the district into a destination full of character and possibilities, Vernon said. A place where people love to park their car, walk around, get something to eat, or find a unique gift. Most of all, she was a devoted mother, wife, and grandmother. She is survived by her husband, Pat McGrath, and children, Lindsay McGrath Vasquez, Gavin McGrath, and Jamie McGrath Hobson, as well as 11 grandchildren. Private services will be held this week. A public celebration of life is being planned, but details are still to come. 
When Pat McGrath was working for his brother Bruce McGrath's Pontiac and Mazda dealership as a sales manager, Mary Kay came in to buy a Mazda RX-7. The rest was history, laying the foundation for their marriage of 41 years. She'd always kid that she paid $12,000 to meet a husband, Pat McGrath said. She was a strong woman, independent-driven, and loving woman who he described as the glue of her family. Everything revolved around her children and grandchildren. She encouraged their kids to do whatever they wanted, never questioning the direction they chose to go. Family was her love language, he said. Whether it was her niece's band concert or her brother's stand-up show, or even skydiving for McGrath Vasquez's 25th birthday, McGrath was there for her family, and she was often up for an adventure. When skydiving, she even volunteered to jump first and did somersaults in the air. She was an extremely selfless human being, McGrath Vasquez said. Nothing was more important to her than family. She sacrificed anything and everything to make sure her family knew how loved and supported they were by her. Whether the kids needed a kick in the butt or a hug while they fell apart, McGrath Vasquez said her mother knew how to show up for people. She taught her children to do the right thing even when it was uncomfortable. In that way, she really motivated me to be the best person I could be and give my best at everything I do, McGrath Vasquez said. She also had that softness about her where she could catch you when you fell or if you failed and put your legs back under you, make you feel loved just as you are. You're not defined by your achievements or your accomplishments or what other people think of you. Mayor Tiffany O'Donnell, who knew McGrath long before she was elected, said she admired the way she raised her children, treating each one uniquely and supporting them. O'Donnell's own two girls were younger, so she took parenting cues from McGrath. Before she put her heart and soul into the district, she put it into her family, O'Donnell said. Once the kids grew up, McGrath had more time on her hands, though she stayed busy with the grandkids and wanted to do something with it. So she focused her energy on infusing new life into Czech Village. My grandparents used to shop here. My parents have always had businesses here. I was raised on this side of town. It's just a very special place for me, McGrath previously told the Gazette. She made Czech Village the vibrant stroll district it is today, Vernon said. This woman is one of the best community developers I've ever run into, Vernon said. She understood that you needed these interesting retail places and charming, fun, and cute and delicious restaurants. Because she had all those buildings, she was able to create an ecosystem that would work. Not only did she make major structural fixes to the buildings, replacing roofs and siding, but she kept Czech Village and Nouveau traditions and made them new with a sense of humor. She had an innate sense of how the buildings needed to look and feel, what components would evoke pleasure and fun. When she bought the old fire station at 1111 3rd Street Southeast, she transformed the place with broken pipes into an Airbnb rental. She was persistent in recruiting Nikki Kettlecamp, who owned Scout in Marion, to run a shop in the district and eventually drew her to the building's lower floor to open Scribe Stationer. It's now recognized as one of the world's best stationary shops. Near the corner of C Street Southwest and 16th Avenue Southwest, Sweetie's Ice Cream Parlor evokes childhood memories with ice cream and old-fashioned sodas and sports, a 1920s aesthetic. It's in addition to Sweet Mercantile Soda Fountain and Candy Shop next door at 98 16th Avenue Southwest. This venue was her dream, Vernon said. 
I thought, what better thing than a toy store and soda fountain, McGrath previously told the Gazette. It was nostalgia for me. I grew up with a soda fountain, and it was just such a great memory having all the drinks made for you. When McGrath learned the eight Czech Village properties were going to be sold, her husband said she quickly closed the deal within three weeks, and she was off and running and wanting to really make an impact in Czech Village. She restored historic, disaster-damaged buildings into places full of charm and quirky touches, like crystal chandeliers where she stuck antlers in it with pieces of turquoise coming down. Everything she did made you feel alive again, Vernon said. She loves places that make you feel alive and make you think about the old times, but also the future times. McGrath was someone who liked to be in the background and did things quietly as she brought her vision for Czech Village to life tirelessly, passionately, and fearlessly, O'Donnell said. I believe that Czech Village would not be what it is today without a Mary Kay, O'Donnell said. She was the best kind of visionary. She was a visionary with a heart and soul for Cedar Rapids. She knew what she wanted, then went out and found it, O'Donnell said. When I think about Cedar Rapids and what we'd like it to look like and be, I always think of Mary Kay, O'Donnell said. There are a lot of people with ideas and even plenty of people with means in our community, but not many have the will to do what she did. While McGrath had so much more to give and so many ideas, Vernon said, those devoted to the district planned to build upon her legacy. At the entrance to Czech Village, where the Mucha Meets Iowa mural by Ali Val overlooks a sliver of land between the art piece and the clock tower, McGrath was a benefactor for a project to turn the space into Novak Plaza in honor of her late parents. There will be benches and a coffee table and pe- for people to gather, things McGrath and Vernon designed together. Old-fashioned flowers like the deep red peonies that grew in McGrath's mother's garden will be planted instead of grass. It'll be filled with low-growing greenery that doesn't have to be mowed and perennials with deep roots. The plaza will be dedicated as soon as possible, Vernon said. We're going to make her proud, Vernon said. She could have done anything with that time, talent, and treasure— and chose to invest it in our community. The two both have memories of going to the old Czech village roundhouse with their parents and grandparents, Vernon said, and McGrath was happy the city is pursuing plans to bring the structure to life again. The original was destroyed in the 2008 flood. Mary Kay's vision was driven by heart and passion, O'Donnell said. It was personal. It's going to be important that we, going forward, harness that heart and soul and make it personal. With a mix of tenderness, love, and tenderness, I'm sorry, with a mix of toughness, love, and tenderness, McGrath and Vasquez, McGrath Vasquez said her mother stood up for underdogs and fought against mistreatment. She hopes to carry on the kindness McGrath extended to anybody who walked in her path, whether her mother was checking out a gas station, making best friends in the airport security line, or making Cedar Rapids a better place for everyone. She just cared so much about our community and the people in it and making sure she could have a positive impact in any way she could, McGrath Vasquez said. Okay, I'm going to turn to the government notes section and read at least some of these activities. Comments sought on transportation projects. Also, Cedar Rapids City Council to consider development agreement for $576 million data center. The Corridor Metropolitan Planning Organization is seeking public comment on how to spend approximately $20 million in new funding for local roadway, trail, and transit projects. 
At open houses this week, the public can learn about the projects and give feedback. 5.30 p.m. Tuesday at the Cedar Rapids Ladd Library at 3750 Williams Boulevard Southwest, which is accessible by Cedar Rapids Transit Routes 8 and 12. At 5.30 p.m. Thursday at the Hiawatha Public Library, 150 West Willman Street, accessible by Cedar Rapid Transit Route 30. Both open houses will provide the same information and opportunities for feedback. A survey also is available at CorridorMPO.com. Additionally, the organization is seeking comments on including the remaining Tower Terrace Road segments in the Transportation Improvement Program, which is the organization organization's annual capital budget for the cities of Cedar Rapids, Marion, Hiawatha, and Robbins. The Tower Terrace project has received $5 million in community program funds. The money will be used for preliminary engineering, environmental work, and right-of-way acquisitions. The Transportation Improvement Plan, or TIP, is a four-year planning document that identifies transportation projects within the organization's planning boundary that are expected to use federal aid funds instead of local or private funds. To submit comments, go to the Corridor MPO's website, CorridorMPO.com, and scroll to Public Comment Opportunity. The website has information on the proposed amendments to the plan. Click on the Tower Terrace Road Corridor Transportation Improvement Program Amendment. The deadline for comments is March 16th. Public comments also can be emailed to ro.kiefer at corridormpo.com or you can email e.burke at corridormpo.com or you can mail email h.hershner, h-e-r-s-h-n-e-r at corridormpo.com. Comments will be shared with the organization's policy board at its next meeting, where the board will consider the amendments. Big Data Center goes to Cedar Rapids City Council. The Cedar Rapids City Council on Tuesday will consider a development. Oh, hold on one second. I lost my page. Here we go. Okay, I'm going to start that again. The Cedar Rapids City Council on Tuesday will consider a develop an agreement with an unnamed company that is seeking city and state financial incentives to build a massive $576 million data center in the Cedar Big Cedar Industrial Center near the airport. The development is expected to create at least 31 new high-paying jobs. The council meets at 4 p.m. Tuesday in the third-floor council chambers at City Hall, 101 First Street Southeast. It will hold a public hearing to consider the agreement with Heaviside to build one or more data centers along 76th Avenue and Edgewood Road Southwest in the Big Cedar Industrial Center. Well, Heaviside is is named the company that will occupy the development is not. Some 890 acres of the Big Cedar site is Iowa's first mega site which offers hundreds of acres of development-ready land to potential developers. All 1,391 acres are controlled by Alliant Energy. Under terms outlined in council documents, the company could receive a 20-year, 70% tax exemption. The company has to meet employment thresholds, and the high-quality job application must be approved. 
the earliest Iowa Economic Development Authority board meeting where that could be considered is March 15th. Lynn County awards 19 nonprofit grants. The Lynn County Board of Supervisors last week awarded $80,000 in grants from the board's Whitwer Trust Fund to 19 nonprofits whose work benefits Lynn County residents. Recipients were selected through an annual competitive grant process that began in November. The board received more than $500,000 in grant requests with $80,000 in available funds. Weaver Whitwer, a prominent Cedar Rapids grocer and landowner who died in 1979, established the Whitwer Trust. He owned and operated a food processing plant, several local farms, and what became known as the Me Too grocery stores. The grant cycle begins November 1st of each year. Visit lincountyiowa.gov slash Whitwer for more information. This year, funds were awarded to Abbey Center for Community Mental Health, Catherine McCauley Center, Cedar Boat Club, Cedar Rapids Freedom Festival, Cedar Valley Habitat for Humanity, Eastern Iowa Health Center, Feed Iowa First, Foundation Two Crisis Services, Four Oaks Family and Children's Services, Horizons, Iowa Legal Aid, Lynn County Third Fire District Foundation, Marion East Cedar Rapids Rotary Club, Matthew 25, Riverview Center, Sleep in Heavenly Peace, Waypoint, Willis Daddy, Willis Dady Homeless Services, and YPN. Okay, I'm now going to turn to the insight section, opinions, and read our community letters. Our first letter is from Brad Wilson of Springville. Census shows long-term sustainability loss. The Gazette is right that following long-term trends is key for the census of agriculture. Amazingly, in 1950, there were well over 150 farms, excuse me, 150,000 farms with cattle and calves, hogs and pigs, and poultry sales, and farms with dairy sales were very close. These numbers have all declined much faster than the number of farms. Of surviving farms, the percent with value-added hogs and pigs declined from 84% in 1950 to 59% in 1969 to 33% in 1992 to 7% in 2017 and then down to 6% for 2022. Loss of farms with dairy and poultry is also extreme. For cattle, the trend is similar, falling from 90% of all farms to 69% to 45%, to 29%, then on down to 25% just five years later. We see huge parallel losses of farms and land for sustainable livestock crops, pasture on cropland, hay and oats, a massive structural change causing pollution. There were more than 12 million acres of these crops in 1950 when most farms had them. Acreage fell to 7.9 million in 1969, 4.3 million in 1992, less than 1.3 million by 2017, and just over 1.2 million today. We see permanent pastures on hills and near streams converted to corn and soybeans. While net cash income is up for 2022 as a return on land, building, and machinery assets, it's only 4.2%. The major policy change behind the creation of this pollution problem is the reduction and ending of price floor programs where farmers subsidize CAFOs. Again, that was from Brad Wilson of Springville. 
Next, we have a letter from Jerry Chilton of Cedar Rapids. Don't support Zahn's speed camera crusade. State Senator Brad Zahn, a Republican of Urbandale, just won't quit his support for people who feel they have a right to exceed the speed limits on our streets and highways. Having failed in the past to get an outright ban on traffic cameras, he tried to legislate them into ineffectiveness. Now he's trying to legislate them out of existence through legislative trickery by combining good and bad issues. His bill, Senate File 3016, would combine two things regarding safety on Iowa roads, one positive effort and one negative. The positive issue, prohibiting the use of handheld devices for texting and calling, except for emergencies, is needed and overdue. The second, banning traffic cameras, is not. While the first would probably save lives, it is difficult to enforce by writing citations. Traffic cameras, by contrast, have proved records of effectiveness in saving lives and preventing crashes. The two measures need to be voted on separately. Passing the bill in its present form will needlessly endanger all of us. Senator Zahn's animus to the cameras apparently stems from having to pay a ticket incurred by his son years ago who was caught speeding by a traffic camera. His reasons for getting rid of the cameras have ranged from doubtful to ridiculous over the past decade. I am asking our legislators to vote for proven effective measures and not support Zahn's petty revenge crusade. Again, that was from Jerry Chilton of Cedar Rapids. You are listening to the Cedar Rapids Gazette on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of the blind and print disabled. I'm your reader, Teresa Whitaker. If you have any questions on this or any other IRIS program, give us a call at 515-243-6833. And now we'll go to today's obituaries. Brad Manny James Patterson of Mount Vernon was 59 when he passed away on Thursday, February 22nd at St. Luke's Hospital in Cedar Rapids. Celebration of life at a later date. Burial at a later date. Stuart Baxter Funeral and Memorial Services of Mount Vernon is assisting the family with arrangements. Brad was born on July 11, 1964 in Cedar Rapids, the son of Jerry and Jean Daubeck Peterson. Brad enjoyed listening to all kinds of music, watching MASH, The Walking Dead, Hawkeye basketball, and football. He worked most of his life as a custodian for Kirkwood, Cornell, and Cargill. Brad loved to make people laugh. He loved his dogs more than anything, and they loved him equally. Brad is survived by his siblings, Corrine, spouse Denny Clark, Jason, spouse Krista Swars, Brett, spouse Carol Peterson, and Robbie Peterson significant other, Teresa McElry, and stepfather, Dusty Swerz. Brad was preceded in death by his parents and paternal and maternal grandparents. Donald Don Jack Bartling Sr., 65, of Ishpeming, Michigan, passed away Thursday, February 22nd, at Bellin Hospital in Green Bay, Wisconsin, due to complications of his illness. Don was born February 3, 1959, in DeWitt, the son of Vernon and Maria Pohl Bartling. He grew up in Grand Mound, where he attended school, then graduated from DeWitt Central High School. Don joined the Air Force for a short time, then later attended Kirkwood Community College in Cedar Rapids. He married his first wife, Celia Hupp, then later divorced. In 1993, he married his second wife, Brenda Kindler 
Bartling. They later divorced. He worked at a variety of places throughout his lifetime and found enjoyment in cross-country truck driving for TMC, among others, for several years. He lived in Iowa most of his life and then moved to Ishpeming, Michigan in 2018. Don enjoyed fishing, watching Iowa Hawkeye football and Iowa women's basketball, and yelling at the refs from his chair. He enjoyed time spent with family and sitting outside watching the neighborhood. He is survived by his ex-wife and close friend Brenda Bartling of Upper Michigan, daughter Summer Richard of Michigan, son Justin Bartling of Iowa, daughter Tia Hayes of Iowa, grandchildren Trent Bartling, Isaiah, Joseph, Tyler, Jace, and Dylan Richard, siblings Susan Van Thornout, Georgia Waplas, and Virginia Miller, several nieces and nephews, ex-family-in-laws Geraldine Kindler and Richard Kindler of Solon, and his favorite aunt Helen Rupp, or Rupp, of Swisher. He is preceded by his parents Vernon and Maria Bartling, ex-wife Cecilia Bartling, Don, I'm sorry, son Donald Jack Bartling Jr., brothers Dale Bartling and Dean Bartling, sisters Kathy Kelly and Deborah Hurlbrut, brothers-in-law Dean Miller and John Kindler, nephew Darren Van Thurnout, and his beloved pet flying squirrel Roxy. Donald's wishes were to be cremated and for no service to be held. On a later date, there will be a small gathering held in Ishpeming, Michigan. Please contact the family directory directly if you're interested in attending. Brosh Chapel and the Ava Center of Cedar Rapids can give you direct contact information for Brenda Bartling, who will be receiving all condolences and memorial donations. Thank you to the ICU team at Bellin Hospital in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Thank you to the two nurses who kept him comfortable in his final moments. Brosh Chapel for all your assistance and to all friends and family for the lifetime of love and memories. The Reverend William B. Harnish of Cedar Rapids passed away Thursday, February 22nd at the Gardens of Cedar Rapids. Memorial service will be at 1.30 p.m. Wednesday, February 28th at Murdoch Linwood Funeral Home and Cremation Service in Cedar Rapids with visitation to begin 30 minutes prior to the service. Inurnment at Linwood Cemetery in Cedar Rapids. Bill was born in Cedar Rapids, the son of William J. and Viola Shelton Harnish. He graduated from McKinley High School and the University of Iowa. Bill went to seminary school at the University of Dubuque in Dubuque, Iowa. He also went to co-college in Cedar Rapids. While in Dubuque, or excuse me, while in college, he was in the ROTC. He was a self-employed wedding chapel minister and participated in pulpit exchanges all over the world, including Scotland, England, Korea, and New Zealand. Bill loved dining out and riding his motorcycle. He volunteered at the Jane Boyd Community House, and he started the Citizens Committee on Alcohol and Drug Abuse. Bill also dedicated countless hours working with prisoners and victims of substance abuse. He received a personal invite to the White House by President Eisenhower to be a delegate for the Conference on Children and Youth. Bill championed many programs in Lynn County, fighting alcohol and drug abuse long before there was a national outcry. He was involved with the Lynn County Mental Health Association for 18 years. Phil officiated countless funerals for those without a church home in Lynn, Benton, and Johnson counties, all without judgment. Survivors include his children, John Harnish of Cedar Rapids, Debbie Case Harnish-Kentis of Woodland Hills, California, Joseph Harnish, Kathy Harnish, and Peggy Harnish, all of Cedar Rapids, grandchildren Avery, Noah, Jacob, Jordan, and Paige, and great-grandson Hunter. 
He was preceded in death by his parents, sisters Betty, Dolly, and Shirley, and daughter-in-law Jelaine Harnish. Leo L. Stansel, 88, of Marion, passed away on Friday, February 23rd at Winslow House in Marion, surrounded by his family. In agreement with his wishes, cremation will take, has taken place and there will be no services at this time. Murdoch Funeral Home and Cremation Service of Marion is assisting the family. Leo was born on July 5, 1935, at home in Oxford, the son of Bessie Fisher. He was a farmhand before serving honorably in the United States Air Force. On March 20, 1959, Leo was united in marriage to Jean Ann Walter in Las Vegas, Nevada. He worked for Rockwell Collins until his retirement in 1990. After retirement, Leo found a passion in restoring John Deere tractors. He owned and restored many antique tractors. His pride and joy was driving his tractor and string of toys following behind in small town parades. We always knew where we could find him, either in his shop or in his yard. Leo became well known for repairing lawnmowers, snowblowers, and other small engines. He was always available to help family, friends, or anyone who dropped by his shop. Leo looked forward to every spring to plant the garden for, with his family. He would sometimes get a little carried away with his tiller and chew up a few plants. We always knew his heart was in the right place. Leo enjoyed spending time with family, feeding birds, riding his John Deere bike, square dancing, card club, and two-cylinder tractor club. Leo will be greatly missed by all who knew and loved him. Leo was survived and lovingly remembered by his wife of 64 years, Jean of Marion, son Doug Stansel of Marion, daughter Pam Skilling of Marion, four grandchildren, Blaine Moyer, Brant Skilling, Gitana Hiho, and Riley Stansel, six great-grandchildren, half-brother Richard Stansel, sister-in-law Shirley Wilmot, many nieces and nephews, and three furry kitties, George, Sebastian, and Honey. He was preceded in death by his mother, sister Irene Hutton, son-in-law Kirk Schilling, and grandson Blake Moyer. Thank you, Dad, for teaching us that hard work can be rewarding and to always finish a project. On behalf of Jean, Doug, and Pam, we would like to thank Leo Stansel for everything. There are no words to express the gratitude we feel. Thank you, Dad, from the bottom of our hearts. Rest in peace. Donna S. Blackburn, 76, of Cedar Rapids, passed away on Friday, February 23rd, at the Oldorf Hospice House, surrounded by her loving family. Celebration of Life service will be held on Saturday, March 2nd, at 1 p.m., with a visitation beginning at 11 a.m. at Asbury United Methodist Church, with Pastor Charles Layton officiating. Emma Shaw. 97 of Cedar Rapids passed away peacefully on Friday, February 23rd at Cottage Grove Place. A visitation for Emma will be held from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Tuesday, February 27th at St. Matthew's Catholic Church in Cedar Rapids with a Mass beginning at 10 a.m. Interment will take place at St. Joseph's Cemetery in Cedar Rapids. Emma is survived by her son, Larry Shawl, daughter-in-law, Cheryl Shawl, her grandchildren, Debbie Weber, Carolyn Browning, Michelle Lawless, Chad Pearson, Melissa Fenton, Sean Fenton, Matthew Shaw, and Amber Fuller. Her great-grandchildren, Philip Weber, Evan Weber, Chloe Browning, Lauren Browning, Melina Shaw, Lowen Hess, Alex Hess, Ashley Fenton, Isaiah Fenton, and Eddie Fuller. Her sisters, Clarity Whittem, Mary Stauffer, and many nieces and nephews. She was preceded in death by her parents, Leo and Effie Line Westmoreland, husbands Edward Shaw and Donald Holohan, and her son Gary Shaw, great-granddaughter Stasia Fenton, and her brother Ben Westmoreland. 
She was born on a farm near Fonda in, on July 11, 1926. Emma married Edward Shaw on September 7, 1944, at St. Matthew's Church in Clare. They were married for 41 years. He preceded her in death on May 27, 1986. She married Donald Houlihan on January 11, 1997, at St. Matthew's Church in Cedar Rapids. He preceded her in death on September 25, 1998. Emma enjoyed her family, her friends, playing bridge and traveling the world. She was a loving mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother who will be greatly missed. She was a member of St. Matthew's Catholic Church in Cedar Rapids, St. Monica's, um, Monica's Circle, Telephone Pioneers, Mercy Auxiliary, and a volunteer for Hospice of Mercy. Rodney L. Smith, 87, of Cedar Rapids, passed away on Friday, February 23rd, at his home. Visitation will be held from 3 to 7 p.m. on Tuesday, February 27th, at Murdoch Funeral Home and Cremation Service in Marion. Funeral home, excuse me, funeral services will begin at 10.30 a.m. on Wednesday, February 28th, at the Murdoch Funeral Home and Cremation Service in Marion, with burial to follow at St. John Cemetery in Newhall. Rodney was born on September 18, 1936, in Keystone, Iowa, the son of Llewellyn and Helen Marie Sadler Smith. He was a 1954 graduate of Keystone High School and went on to attend Iowa State University. On October 14, 1956, Rodney was united in marriage to Glennis Ann Wendell. He worked for Rockwell Collins until his retirement in 1992 at the age of 56. Rodney was a member of Waltonian Archers of Lynn County and a part of a bowling league. He enjoyed hunting and fishing in Minnesota, gardening and canning tomatoes for homemade salsa. His tomato plants were taller than him every year. Rodney was quite the artist. He loved to draw pictures of cartoon characters, his family, and anything else that would cheer someone up that needed to be lifted. He will be remembered for doing anything for anyone with an open heart, especially family. Rodney will be greatly missed by all who knew and loved him. Rodney is survived and lovingly remembered by his four children, Kathleen Peterson, Cynthia Craigmeyer, Alan Smith, and Judith Urbanic, nine grandchildren and many great-grandchildren, too many, excuse me, two great-great-grandchildren, many others who loved him. He was preceded in death by his parents, wife Glennis, brother Delbert Smith, and sister Carol Jean Smith. James Jim Schleselman of Cedar Rapids was 72 when he went home to be with the Lord on February 18th at Cottage Grove Place in Cedar Rapids. Born on October 31, 1951 in Williamsburg, Jim was the son of John Ira and Betty Jane DeGraff Schleselman. He grew up on the family farm and graduated from Williamsburg High School, class of 1969. After graduating, Jim worked at Iowa County Farm Service in Williamsburg for a number of years. He then began his career in various telecommunication companies in Cedar Rapids, including Telecom Teleconnect, MCI Telecommunications, and McLeod USA. Over the years, his responsibilities included analyzing, planning, and managing network traffic. Jim received numerous awards for his contributions and left the industry as a senior capacity planner. Jim was an avid reader and a lifelong learner. He especially loved to study the Bible and completed a number of Moody Bible Institute's external studies series. Jim is survived by his brother Tom Schleselman of Freeport, Illinois, and his nephews and nieces Ben Schleselman and daughter Hope of Kettering, Kettering, Ohio, Amy Schleselman of Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, 
and Micah Schlesselman of North Aurora, Illinois. Preceding Jim and Death are his parents, John and Betty. A Celebration of Life service will be held Saturday, March 2nd at 11 a.m. at Brosh Chapel and the Ava Center in Cedar Rapids, located at 2121 Bowling Street Southwest. There will be a visitation from 10 to 11 a.m. prior to the service. Okay, I'm going to turn to the sports section now. Uh, events of very interest. We've got girls basketball going on, state tournament at Wells Fargo Arena in Des Moines. We have boys basketball, the Class 3A sub-state finals. There's a college indoor track meet at UNI. Uh, I'm sorry, UNI at Missouri Valley conference meet in Chicago. And on television in the NBA, the Raptors are at the Pacers at 6 p.m. on NBA TV. The Heat at the Kings at 9 p.m. on NBA TV. Men's basketball, we've got Drexel at Delaware at 5.30 p.m. on the CBS Sports Network. Miami at North Carolina at 6 p.m. on ESPN. West Virginia at Kansas State at 6 p.m. on ESPN2. UNC William, Wilmington at Campbell at 7.30 p.m. on the CBS Sports Network. And Baylor at TCU at 8 p.m. on ESPN. For women's basketball, Colorado at UCLA at 8 p.m. on ESPN2. Pro soccer, West Ham United versus Brentwood at 2 p.m. on USA. And golf, Capital One's The Match at 6 p.m. on TNT. Apparently online, you can watch Marion versus Davenport in boys basketball. That's, I'm sorry, that's Davenport Assumption, at 7.45 p.m. tonight on crmlivesports.com. Okay, we're going to go to the front page sports section and read about girls' state basketball. Clear Creek Amana is fully awake. Former sleeping giant Clippers are 23-0 now and ranked number one. This is by Jeff Linder. By day, he is an independent home remodeler specializing in kitchens and bathrooms. His night job as girls basketball coach at Clear Creek Amana, that's been a 10-year improvement and enhanced project too. CCA had been good at softball for so long, why not basketball, Sweeney said, before referring to the program's former days of dormancy. When I got the job, I wanted to create excitement around girls basketball. This former sleeping giant is now wide awake. Clear Creek Amana takes a 23-0 record and a Class 4A number 1 ranking to the state tournament, its third in the past five years. The Clippers face unranked Gilbert, whose record is 15-9, in the first round at 11.45 Tuesday morning, and they're taking a different mindset than their 2020 and 2023 predecessors. Happy to be there no longer flies. CCA wants more than birth. Last year, we were super stoked to get there, versatile senior Ava Locklear said. We had focused so hard to get there, then lost 61-30 to North Polk in the first round. This year, we want to make it our own. We want to go get a pink championship shirt. Ever the tinkerer, Sweeney is overhauling the Clippers tournament itinerary. No hotel stays. Instead, the plan is to drive out, take care of business, drive back, hopefully three times. We want to stay in our routine as much as possible, he said. We'll sleep in our own beds, get breakfast together at the school, then get to the arena two hours before tip. This kind of postseason dabbling at this school seemed foreign not that long ago. Before Sweeney was hired, winning seasons were rare at Clear Creek Amana, and coaches didn't stay long. 
In 2013-14, CCA was 5-16 and and finished last in the WAMAC Conference. The following season, Sweeney's first in charge. The Clippers were 13-9. and One night, I told my wife, Joy, let's go to a girls game, Sweeney said, recalling of his pre-coaching days. Lori Donald had a really good team at Benton Community, and they put up 100 points on CCA. I just love basketball, and that night, my wife told me to get my coaching authorization. Clear Creek Amanda's arrival came in 2020. At that time, Marion's program was rolling and had smoked CCA in the regular season 59-30. They met again in the regional finals. The Clippers won 66-49. After Womack Conference West Division title shares in 2021 and 22, CCA finished second last season but made it back to state. Even with the first-round bummer against North Polk, the Clippers were poised for big things this season, and they have delivered. The Clippers, the Clippers held off 1A number one North Lynn by a point at rivalry Saturday. They stormed away from Solon and edged Mount Vernon in their two toughest Waymac cross divisional matchups. They played up a class and beat Iowa City West and Iowa City Liberty. They went 10 and 0 in divisional play. They averaged 63.7 points per game and allowed 31.2, which is the best in 4A. We have a lot of diversity, said Bliss Beck, a Drake University volleyball signee. We have a lot of people that can get the ball down court, a lot that can post up. And Ava, she can do anything that she pleases. We mesh really well. We don't have any selfish players, said sophomore Avery Lower, the divisional player of the year. So diversity is one apt description for the Clippers. Here's another, long. Beck, who averages 75, 7.5 points and 7.1 rebounds per game, provides an athletic six foot two player who, with long arms and her jumping ability, seems a lot taller than that. Locklear, who averages 11.9 PPG, 10.3 RPG, is, for a lack of better term, remarkably handy. In her career, she has notched more than 1,000 points, 500 rebounds, 200 assists, and 100 blocks. She truly could play any position. At some point, I've had to play them all, Locklear said. When I first started playing, I was a point guard. Then I grew, and they put me in the post. Now I'm not so tall anymore, so, she shrugged, put me wherever. Locklear has signed with NCAA Division II Saginaw Valley State in Michigan. At her current trajectory, Lower will probably become the first player in CCA history. I'm sorry, not the first, the best player in CCA history. She is averaging 17.8 points in her sophomore season, shooting 58.8% from the field, 48.4% from three-point range, and 87.1% from the foul line. Lower owns six Division I offers. She's special. I have played with all Iowa attack since sixth grade, and that experience has helped a lot, Lower said. Lower's mother, Lacey Pilar Lower, played on two state championships in the mid-1990s at Winfield Mount Union. I've seen the trophy case, Avery said. Sweeney's core rotation consists of eight players, five seniors, and three sophomores. There's the Stratton sisters, Kaylee is a senior, Kennedy is a sophomore. Seniors Sam Schrag and Kira Rogers are good utility pieces. Soph Lena Evans is a fearless offensive presence off the bench and is third on the team in scoring at 9.1 points per game. It's the kind of team Sweeney, the basketball junkie who was on Cedar Rapids Kennedy's state runner-up team in 1988, only could have dreamed about a decade ago. 
When we started, we just wanted Clear Creek Amana to be relevant, he said. Now we're here, and we're on a business trip. We're not just happy to get there anymore. Our goal is to get to the finals and see what happens. I'm going to go to the sideline short articles here in women's basketball. Drake handles you and I for seventh straight victory. Another Anna Miller double-double and a huge rebounding edge carried the Drake women's basketball team to a 79-77 victory over Northern Iowa at the Knapp Center on Sunday afternoon. The Bulldogs built an early 10-point lead, fell behind by six in the third quarter, then clawed their way back to extend their winning streak to seven and beat the Panthers for the 16th time in their last 19 meetings. Halfway through a four-game homestand, Drake, whose record is 22-5, 15-1 in the conference, maintained its two-game lead over second-place Belmont in the league race with four games to play. Miller posted her fifth double-double in the last six games and 12th of the season with 21 points and a career-high 19 rebounds. Maya McDermott led the Panthers, whose record is 11-14 and 10-6 and in the conference, with 24 points. Kaba Lobby added 15. Ohio State clinches share of Big Ten title. Celeste Taylor scored 20 points, and number two Ohio State clinched at least a share of the Big Ten title and the number one seed in the conference tournament with a 79-66 win over Maryland on Sunday. J.C. Sheldon had 17 points for the surging Buckeyes, whose record is 24-4, 15-1 in the Big Ten who won their 14th straight game with two to go in the regular season. They can capture the conference title outright with a win in one of these. In college baseball, Iowa falls to 3-4 and four with loss to Wichita State. This is out of Jacksonville, Florida. The 18th-ranked Iowa baseball team fell to Wichita State 12-6 on Sunday afternoon at 121 Financial Park. The Hawkeyes opened the scoring in the second inning, plating four runs. With the bases loaded, Andy Nelson sent a ground ball through the left side to bring home two runs. Iowa, whose record is 3-4, and four, led 5 to nothing in the fifth. The Shockers got on the scoreboard in the sixth with a pinch-hit three-run home run to slice into the deficit. Wichita State scored five more runs in the seventh to take an 8-5 to five lead. The Shockers scored 12 of the next 13 runs. In auto racing, Suarez nips Blaney, Bush in cup race. Out of Hampton, Georgia, Daniel Suarez edged Ryan Blaney and Kyle Busch in a three-wide finish to win a crash-filled NASCAR Cup Series race at Atlanta Motor Speedway on Sunday. Suarez, who is 32, earned his second career Cup win in his trackhouse racing Chevrolet. Blaney was second, only 0.003 seconds behind, and Busch was third. Okay, I think I have time to get one more article and this is boys basketball with North Lynn playing its best. Regina also qualifies for state tourney in Class 2A by Jeff Johnson. Here's the thing about this North Lynn boys basketball team. It's playing better now than it has all season. I think we're playing the game at a very high level right now, Lynx coach Mike Hilmer said Saturday night after his top-ranked team beat West Fork 74-59 to in a Class 1A sub-state final. They are understanding the game better. They're even coming in, telling you stuff at a timeout, which they've never done. This is a very quiet group. But they've gotten louder on the court, and they're doing the things they need to do. Sometimes when coaches are hard on you, when you're winning, it doesn't always go as well because they're like, well, we're winning, coach. But they've done a really good job. Scary stuff for the rest of 1A state tournament field. 
North Lynn, whose record is 23-1, plays unranked Woodbine, whose record is 23-2, in a 10.30 a.m. quarterfinal March 4th in Des Moines' Wells Fargo Arena. This is the eighth consecutive trip to the to state for the Lynx. They have been in a championship game six straight years. Lansing Key lost its 1A substate final Saturday night to Gladbrook Rhinebeck 52-49. Key was attempting to make it state for the first time. In Class 2A, Michael Martin scored 20 points and Drew Streb added 16 as Iowa City Regina knocked off 5th-ranked Pella Christian 64-59 in a Class 2A substate final at Iowa City Liberty. And that will bring us to the end of today's reading of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. I'm your reader, Teresa Whitaker. Thanks for sharing your time with IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind.